The Ziggler Show comes from the legacy of Zig Ziggler and brings together personal and professional growth, business success, and faith. Welcome everyone, this is Kevin Miller. In this episode, vote with your life. Did you vote for a presidential candidate? Did you vote in spite of the candidates with a focus on the policies and platforms? In this show, we reveal, I think, that you're voting every day in ways far more powerful than your official ballot. Not to minimize that, but the contents for this show came from two strategic questions I asked the Ziegler audience. First, I asked if your weekly purchases were audited to discern what you truly value, would you be proud of what was found? which I then followed with, if you had to choose, what political policy are you most concerned about? Tom Ziegler and I first read through the comments citing uh, purchases, what people were proud of and which they weren't, and then tied it into the policies and platforms listeners cited as their greatest values. Very much not a political show, that was not the point. Ultimately, it's asking if our daily decisions and our purchases lined up with what we say we value. And the point was not to criticize or critique, but just to bring us all to uh, more awareness that we can make the most powerful votes in our daily decisions, and we're not often aware of it. And as you'll hear in the show, I'm sitting here crafting this show. I posted it, I produced it, and we recorded it. And as we talked about it, I'm realizing, my goodness, a lot of times I am not thinking about it. So this is for all of us to hear. Well, here's next what's happening on our other shows, and we have some great resources for you. Then we'll get started with the discussion on how your biggest vote is your everyday actions. All right, Tom, what well, face value, you know, we're talking about voting and what a sensitive topic and, uh, and for candor, yeah, we're not going to sit here and give our political views necessarily. Now, if we stumble into them or they can't be hidden, so be it. But the point was, again, as we've been chatting about, as I asked these two questions, you know, one about where are we spending our money? Are we proud of that? Just to kind of heighten awareness of where we're spending our money and then Two, asking about what are the policies and platforms that we really care about. And then as we go along in the show, we're going to kind of align those or talk about the align. Do they align? And, you know, I, I found Mark Hyman. So he, Mark Hyman, he's a medical doctor, one of the biggest names in health and wellness, huge podcast called uh, uh, Doctor's Pharmacy, F-A-R-M, but just a, a gigantic name in that arena. And he just did a post yesterday that I saw that just lined up with the concept here. We're not talking about food uh, necessarily, but he, he just uh, posted this. He said, the way we choose to eat not only reflects the level of care we have for our health, it reflects the level of care we have for other humans, animals, and the environment. Every bite of food is a vote. There's the premise that we have that I wanted to hit on as we look at our purchases. So uh, to highlight those right now, to give that preface, that the question again that I asked was, if your weekly purchases were audited to discern what you truly value, would you be proud of what was found? Ideas are things like gas, food, what kinds of food, entertainment, giving, personal care, uh, illness, you know, et cetera. And Tom, as I did that, I was thinking about myself and I actually didn't post. I, I meant to put my own post there, but I, I didn't. But to say, you know, am I proud of my purchases? I would say overall, yes. Um, you know, but I, of course, I'm thinking about where would I not be? And I thought, gosh, you know, how many how many things do we how much do we spend on entertainment? these days. And actually with that thought in mind, I went on and found 
little things I'd signed up for, like on Amazon, you know, oh, we want to watch that show. Oh, it's only on the Showtime channel. And I did some, you know, free offer or whatever, and then looked, and now I've been paying 10 bucks a month for, I don't know how long and found the same thing we had done on Hulu, which we haven't looked at in months and I'm paying them 10 bucks. So I backed off both of those. So there's 20 bucks a month. It's not going to change my life. But again, just looking at how much do I want to show towards entertainment in my bank account? How much do I want to show towards, you know, people talked about eating out and things like that. But sometimes I just kind of forget and think, man, if I was going to be audited, if Tom Ziegler, if you were going to look at my bank account, would I be proud of all the categories and how much I'm spending in those areas? It's just not something that I normally think about. I'm right there with you. You know, uh, I've heard it all throughout my life. If you, if you want to know where your heart is, look at where your money goes. Yeah. Right. That's, that's, that's what you're doing. And sometimes, you know, one of the things since uh, the lockdowns began uh, that I've been intentional about is we don't eat out anymore. I mean, we, we just don't do it. And at first it was kind of like a lifestyle change, kind of a bummer. Uh, and then I realized, wait a second, I'm eating higher quality, better food for me. Uh, but we do get takeout occasionally. And one of the decisions I made was to tip a lot more. Um, hmm. You know, not that we were ever, you know, we were always in the 15 to 20% range, but now I tip a lot more and there's always a little bit of surprise on that person. But it's because I know the whole world is hurting. The whole industry is hurting. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's a little choice. I, as you were going through kind of that, you know, if somebody looked at my expenditures, I started thinking about the seven areas of life, mm -hmm. you know, and just kind of categorizing them into that. I've spent so much more on audible uh, in the last year than I ever have. And I think it's more time and just kind of gotten a craving for education that way. Um, so that takes care of the mental, uh, Rabbi Lappin had, he was, he has a, a Jewish or a Hebrew, uh, Bible that's got English on one side and Hebrew on the other. I bought that. Wow. And so, so I just started thinking about all these different purchases I've made. Uh, and you know, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I'm pretty, I, I like some of the things I'm doing and some of the things that I'm not doing, uh, I should be doing more of. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. It, you, you mentioned books. I think, you know, the book industry has done well. Uh, that was one of the responses. Jennifer, she says, I spend way too much on Kindle books. Meanwhile, there's a whole library full of free books. Just one example of how my weekly purchases will show instant gratification purchases. Now she's talking about, yes, yeah, so if you sign up for Kindle, you get that whole free library and yet she's still buying books, which I responded back and said, gosh, I feel that way about Amazon. We have the Amazon account, zillions of movies, and yet half the time, or probably more than that, we come on and we want to find, you know, what the latest movie or whatever, and we spend two bucks, three bucks, four bucks, five bucks on top of the Amazon account instead of watching the free ones. Though my response to her was, you're, you're, you're reading books. I, I'm going to give you credit for that above my Amazon watching stuff as she's reading books. I love that. And I, me too, Tom, during this time I have spent more money on books. We recently had Charles Martin on. And so I've been enjoying his fiction books. I've, I've probably had more fiction purchases lately. <laughs> I got three of his books now. Do you? What'd you get? Do you remember? Well, my gosh, you're going to make me look it up. I uh, just downloaded them and 
Because I keep getting emails from people. I just got one this morning from my mom. So my mom and dad, Dan and Joanne Miller, 48 Days, they both listened to the Charles Martin interview, loved it, immediately bought some of his books, watched, uh, I think they had watched the, uh, the movie uh, A Mountain Between Us, but they just got his books A Long, a Long Way Home, which is the first one that I read, that, they're, that they, somebody just bought the movie rights to that, the options for that. Uh, and, uh, I, but, and I don't know what other ones that they bought. Yeah, so you recommended The Mountain Between Us, so yep. I finished that, and then I went and bought uh, Water From My Heart and Wrapped in Rain. Wrapped? Uh, I don't think I've read the Wrapped in Rain one yet. Um, crick, uh, when Crickets Cry, that's, that's one I just read. That's just, well, I mean, again, they're all excellent. I, I'm ready for my next one. Uh, my wife got me, though, she got me uh, Becoming Mrs. Lewis about uh, C.S. Lewis's greatest love. And I'm reading that. It's really interesting. Um, good book. Oh, well, you know, so again, looking at these and we had people respond to, uh, well, here, Carrie Mitchell, she says, my 20, uh, my 2020 spending has changed tremendously. I value good, healthy food and anything that's absolutely needed to fix things on my house. My frivolous spending has stopped completely this year. I'm proud of myself. The prior few, not so much. I bought in excess when I did, when I really didn't need it. And we had a bunch of people respond to that. Richard uh, Powell said, yes, I'm proud. We run everything through, uh, the question of, do we need it or not? Is it a want or a need. If it's a need, purchase it right away. If it's a want, we wait at least 48 hours. I, I appreciated that because man, I'll attest that that's, I, I, I buy immediately. If there's a need I buy immediately on Amazon. You know, a bunch of it's little stuff, you know, here and there, not big stuff, but I am so used. They make it so easy to just click and go. Uh, that I make a lot more spontaneous purchases than ever. And I would assume we all do. You know, I just, while we were talking uh, before we started, I, I bought some lens cleaners on Amazon. And the reason I did it is I took the picture of the box and I just looked at, oh, there's that picture, two clicks, and I bought it. Yep. You know, no shipping charge, uh, be here tomorrow, maybe today. It's it's brilliant. I mean, I had a guy in here uh, last week, Doug Levy, who uh, went through my podcast equipment. I was having some problems and he went through and said, even things like I had some old cords that were causing problems. He says, man, if you'll just replace those or 10 bucks a piece. Brilliant. I went on, ordered them. They were here, gosh, maybe the next day, put them in and now I'm benefiting from it right here. I, I love that. But then, yeah, there are the things that sometimes I get on there and purchase without much thought. Um, well, here's another perspective though, Wes Connor. So I've known Wes for a long time. He said, I'm fortunate to have found the 48 days organization. Speaking of my, my parents again, and, and Dan Miller, I found him 15 years ago and now have enough disposable income to do or buy just about anything I want and still have enough to save pay bills and give, which I responded. That's, that's great though. You could still use your abundance to buy. Uh, now I was being facetious to buy crack. And maybe not be so proud of that purchase. You know, I, that was still, it, it wasn't just a budgeting issue and are we spending money that we need to or not unnecessarily. If you've got a lot of money, you can spend and maybe you don't care if it's not a necessity. But is it still something you are proud of if you're spending a hundred bucks a month on alcohol? Is that something you're proud of? If you're spending it on fast food, is it something you're proud of? Conversely, if you're spending it on 5Ks and the, the health and fitness center and fitness classes you may be proud of. And that was the point. So it wasn't just a 
an abundance aspect of what we're spending, but also just questioning. Uh, Cindy Sipes here, she says, uh, no, I'm not, not super proud. We just did that. We went through and we had some imbalances. You think it's okay to spend $10 on this. Uh, I haven't spent on this in a while. And you realize that your concept of time is way off. And in fact, you have been spending $10 twice a week on whatever. I think it's important to audit ourselves and understand that some seasons we forget to stop and ask ourselves if we really uh, need what we, what we buy. And that is good. I mean, that's almost like a Marie Kondo of your purchasing, you know, is that something like me again, going through my automatic automated expenses. That one, that one burdens me once in a while. And I'll go, Oh my gosh, I don't even want to look at the bank statement and try to figure out what these things are that are coming out every month. And I feel guilty about it. Uh, but it's so easy to let it roll. You know, Kevin, I'm uh, working with our choose to win coaches right now. Um, and we're doing a mastermind. And the title of the mastermind is called The Bridge to Purpose. And the idea is, is what if every day when we wake up, uh, we've got a clearly defined purpose and we know the exact activities that, we're, that we need to do in that day to get closer to our purpose so that when we fall asleep, we can fall asleep knowing that we got a little bit closer to our purpose today. Yeah. Okay. And so the... The idea is, is that we have our purpose defined and then we go and we define in the measurable purpose producing activities. Yeah. Okay. And so this is where I think our challenge is, is, is it's like, let's just look at books. Uh, the, to me, where we spend our money, a book is not that much money, right? When we look at uh, if you purchase a book for, you know, for $15 or $20 and it's going to take you 10 hours, it's $2 an hour is what you're, you're spending on that book. But what's your time worth? Yeah. To me, that is, that's the, that's the decision-making factor. And so then you ask the question, well, does it take you closer to your purpose? Okay. Now, this is where it gets tricky. And one of the things that I love about what we teach at Ziegler is that in our wheel of life, we have seven areas and we, we can figure out what our spiritual purpose is, what our career purchase purpose is, what our physical purpose is. But when you have a great fiction writer like Charles Martin, and he's talking about these scenarios and ethics and things that really make you think. But really, it's it's for personal amusement, right? It's mm -hmm. for, you know, just some free time to let your mind wander. Well, that's perfectly acceptable because on the Ziegler approach on the Wheel of Life, one of the segments is personal. And so do you get fuel and respite and, you know, kind of the things that come from a great fiction? I love science fiction. I love fantasy writing as long as it's kind of in the C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien kind of, you know, kind of way where it's dealing with big issues. And so I think we've got to look at our purchases, not only from the financial investment, but also what does it mean for our time? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll cry, you know, I'll claim uh, guilty on this. You, you can download a little game onto your phone for free and it can absorb <laughs> weeks, months of time. So it's, 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 are we, to me, the big question is, well, dad asked the question is what you're about to do. Is it going to take you closer to or further from your goal? And I've asked kind of a bigger uh, question, which is, 
is, is what you're doing, is that a purpose producing activity? Like if you keep doing that, will that take you closer to your purpose? And I think in a lot of cases, moderation is one of the things that we've got to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, Charles Martin is awesome, but if I read him 12 hours a day and that's all I did, you know, life is not going to be what it needs to be. And I, and I bet that he would say, don't do that. I, I, I absolutely he would. Well, I appreciate your perspective of, you know, and again, we can get the issue of talking about balance, which is, you know, balance day to day. I mean, overall, I'm looking balance in my life through the week, through the month, whatever. But looking at the Ziggler wheel of life is such a great way of looking at my investments today. Did I invest anything in my relationships? Did I invest anything in my finances? Did I invest in my spirituality? You know, whatnot. But even there, man, with the time. Yeah, like talking about fiction. Let's just hit on that in Charles Martin's books. I love his stuff. You mentioned C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Uh, matter of fact, he mentioned in the interview that one of his favorite books was C.S. Lewis's book, Till We Have Faces. I bought it immediately and I'm read. Well, I'm reading like five different books right now. I'm, I'm being a little ADHD with my reading, but that's one of them. And I love it when it is an entertaining book, something that makes me feel and move, but also something redemptive. And his, like you said, it deals with the big issues. It has great character development that I find myself thinking about that character and the morality and the ethics that they pursued amongst real life issues. So, yeah, how can I use that time as, as opposed to you know the movie that I might see that could do the same, but it's also it could be a movie where I look at it and realize I just spent two hours and I got nothing out of it, which I can usually tell the next day if I just don't remember. What, what did we watch last night? Oh my gosh, what was that? And realize I, I don't remember a thing. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode on voting with our lives. Next, I pick on a $100,000 per year salary and looking at how much of our time we spend when we make a purchase. It's just really convicting. So we'll jump right back into it after I share some resources I think will be relevant to you. So here, Tom, here's another, here's another thought about what you just said. And it was that uh, I think you were looking at like the expenditures. I just looked up a hundred thousand dollars. Just kind of hit me a hundred thousand dollars. That's three. That's a salary or a salary or an income of $385 per day. Now I just looked this up real quick. I don't know if that's a seven day week or a five day week, but let's say it's right around there. That is interesting to think about those purchases that we're prone to look at. I was looking at a watch yesterday, a fitness watch, and it was, it was about that much more that much or more. So let's say if I'm making a hundred grand, I'm looking at, am I, am I willing to spend a day of my life for that watch? And we, again, we just, it's, it's common sense. It's not common. And I don't think about that when I'm thinking about, especially those bigger purchases or those little ones that just add up day to day, like the little $10 ones I was talking about for whatever entertainment. You know, that's um, one of the things that I love about Jewish tradition is that when they look at, uh, uh, crime and theft and those kind of things. Let's say a you know somebody who's fairly well off and they have something stolen from them. It's really easy for the social commentary to say, well, yeah, but you know that's not a big deal. Look at all the other stuff you have. Or somebody who doesn't have a lot of money, right? And something that's that's not a that's not that expensive is stolen from them. It's a big percentage of their wealth. Yeah. Well, the way Jewish tradition looks at it is you are you are trading your life in order to earn the money to acquire that. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's not really viewed as they stole property. It's viewed as they stole a part of your life. And so I think that is a great way to, to look at what you just said. You know, when we, when we spend some money on something, we've just traded part of our life for that. Yeah. And when somebody takes something that's not theirs, they've just stolen life from other people. And I think that's a that's an interesting, you know, a little bit deeper way to look at it. You know, instead of just blowing stuff off, uh, we we can look at it as, you know, what is my is it worth trading my life for that? Yeah, well, I'm I'm sitting here looking at the hundred k thing again. It's a monthly salary of eight thousand three hundred and thirty three dollars per month. I don't know what the average car expenditure is, but in my personal economy, eighty three hundred bucks that buys a lot of car especially if it's for my kids or, or something. I haven't spent a whole lot more than that on cars much in my life, but let's go, you know, let's double that, go to 16 grand. A lot of people are spending that much on a car. And if we triple it at 24 grand, that's, you know, that's incredibly common as well now. So let's say you're making a hundred grand a year, which, you know, that's six figures and that's a big milestone uh, in the, in the culture and to buy a 24,000 car, it's three months. And if I really thought about that, Kevin, are you, are you willing to work for three full months solely for that car? Can't buy anything else. There's no electricity, no food solely for that car, man, that's, that's daunting. And then I know there's some stats on, you know, we should all have whatever our, our rent or mortgages should be X percent of our income. And I think there's one that my dad's talked about for a car. Uh, as well that, you know, you can kind of do those numbers and look, what's a relevant amount to spend on. I should have, I should find that. That's a, that'd be a helpful thing. It doesn't mean it's a perfect science, but it's a good thing to say, gosh, if you're making this income, much income or regardless of it is your, these expenditures should be about, about this percentage, like a house. I, I want to say like a house should be like a fourth or your, like your mortgage payment or something like that somewhere around. Yeah, a fourth there's year. actually a, uh, Dave Ramsey's done a lot of research on it. Yeah. He's got an actual number, okay. but it's like of, of your take-home pay, it's less than a fourth is what your mortgage payment should be. Uh, and of course, then you should have a 15-year or less mortgage, and you should not have a mortgage as fast as you can. Um, yeah. And it's just just the power of not being in debt. Um, yeah, there there there's so many ways to to look at the way we handle money and the way we treat money. I remember the gosh, this is 10 or 12 years ago. I think I read a paper. Uh, it was actually like an ebook, right? When those were first getting uh, big, it was called the art of nonconformity. And it was by Chris Gillibrew. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to get his story wrong, but basically he said he graduated from college. He wasn't ready to go into work full time. He joined the Peace Corps was overseas for a couple of years, came back, called all his friends. How's it going? And they were all in fast paced jobs, right? They were MBAs and, and they were, you know, working in, you know, law firms and accounting firms and stuff like that. And they yeah. said, well, man, it's fantastic. I'm making a lot of money, but I'm working 80 hours a week. Yeah. And what, and then he figured out that most of them had bought the BMW, the big suburban, you know, the sports car, whatever it was. And they were having to work in order to make that car payment. And this is this this is the thing that got me uh, because he was coming at it from a different angle than say Dave Ramsey would, would come at it. His dream was to travel to a hundred countries. Yep. And he did the math, and he realized that he could do three trips a year and do five to ten countries a trip, 
for the same amount as the car payment. And so he asked himself the question, am I going to sell my dream for a car payment? And so he made a decision he was going to get a job where he didn't need a car and he was going to use that money to travel. And it's just such a foundational thing. He ended up going to over a hundred countries in a couple of years or three years. And it's a pretty incredible story, but you know, what are we selling our dreams for is another way to look at this question. Uh, totally. My, my wife is big on that of looking at big expenses on material items. She says almost all the time she would rather do something with it. She's on a, a getaway right now with a couple of my boys for a birthday thing that one of them wanted to do. And they're staying in an Airbnb and they're spending a good amount of money. Uh, and my son, we looked at it and said, buddy, this, you know, this, this uh, trip and what they're going to do, we'll spend well over a thousand bucks. We could, you know, in theory, just write you a check for a thousand bucks. And you can do with it what you want. Is this really what you want, this experience? And he said, yes, it was. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I like, as you said, kind of putting it out there and, and realize what we are giving our time and money for. This is an interesting one, Tom. Uh, let me, I'll read this and then we'll transition into our next part here. Elizabeth Sickler, she says, uh, it's kind of a culmination of what she says that we would see. This week would say, I'm a food and sugar addict. Uh, I'm also someone who's aware of the need to spend money to get help working on mental health. And I can make a sound argument for piano lessons contributing to mental health rather than being an, an entertainment item. Uh, I'm not proud of my spending audit in its current state, but I am proud of the improvement over where I was at this time last year. So I read that, Tom, and I almost went and made another post just to say, okay, what would my post show about Kevin? It would show that he likes, you know, these types of books on a weekly, you know, weekly purchase. He, he, he spends this much on books. He spends this much on um, he's got sports equipment on a given, you know, week or a month. This much on he really likes dark chocolate covered almonds, apparently, because we have a lot of purchases for those. Uh, you know, and what would it show? What would it show my, uh, you know, my purchases uh, for? And that is, again, so telling to look at that just from a personal standpoint. On that note, though, Tom, if you're if you're ready, I'm going to transition to this next spot because I wanted to do this to give us awareness of where we are spending our money. So my next question that I'm making a part of this perspective was if you had to choose what political policy are you most concerned about? And I gave people a list jobs and money, trade, foreign policy, immigration, health, climate change, criminal justice, gun control. Now, I didn't give a context uh, for those necessarily. I just put it out there. And as you saw, Tom, uh, the post just keeps running and people did. It's funny. I, I did ask if you had to choose one, and I think I capitalized all, in all caps, one. Hardly anybody did that. They just went off with their perspectives on, <laughs> you know, on, on the different, uh, you know, on Democrat, Republican, on this and that and whatever. But we took it and we culminated it a little bit. And we're not going to go through or the intent wasn't to go through and to give our perspectives on what we think is most important, but just to ask the question, okay, if this is what's important to you, how are you voting with your money? Which is so interesting to look at because I don't think we put two and two together a lot in that realm. We here in the category of jobs and money, which, you know, Kyle Riley said, yeah, jobs and money is number one. David Tree says, picking from your list, jobs and the economy and the economy, Richard Powell, jobs and money. So we had a lot of people do that. So I thought, and this is a question for us to, to consider right here. 
what can we do with our life choices and our purchases to help support that issue of jobs and money here in America? And my thought one is, are we buying American? I mean, sometimes we think about that, but Tom, I just, I'm going on, I, I just talked about, you know, getting some cords for my computer and uh, the guy told me what kind I went on, found the ones with the best. I really, I didn't even look at price. I just looked at the best reviews because it was only like a $10 purchase for each cord. And I just bought them. Boom. Uh, I went, we, you, you just got a new camera that you're using right now. I've got mine that's supposed to be in tomorrow. I went, we found the right spot and we bought them. I had no thought to buying one manufactured in America. Now, some of those things you can't even find manufactured in America given, but when you're going to get clothes, when you're going to get cars, when you're going to get whatever, I mean, we can make those decisions, but we may find that, okay, the one here in America costs 10% more, 20% more. Are we willing to put our money where our mouth is with what we say is important to us? That is one that I don't, I have not made that a priority issue for myself, Tom. You? Uh, you know, other than food, uh, which I really, if I have a choice, uh, I like local, right? I like something grown locally yeah. and that is to support the local, uh, and it's also healthier. There's a lot of health benefits around it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but I think everybody kind of fancies themselves as a value shopper unless uh, it's something they really want. And then we can justify that, right? If we, if we, if we really yeah. want that brand that, whatever comes with it, then, then we'll do that. Uh, similar question, but um, a, a different angle is I remember early in my business career, uh, listening to my dad and Fred Smith. Now Fred was dad's mm -hmm. mentor and dad asked Fred Smith. He said, Hey, you know, our company's founded on Christian principles. And for those who listen, you know, we have a Monday morning devotional that we do every Monday. We've been doing it for 40 plus years. You know, everybody's invited, but it's not mandatory. And dad asked Fred, who's just, he was the wisest man that I met, um, just a, a strong Christ follower. He said, Fred, should, you know, should we look to hire Christians? Mm -hmm. And he said, no, you should look to hire competency and people with integrity and ethics and morals and character. And, and so that was a really interesting thing, right? It, it made me step back and think, yeah, we, we should. We should be going after uh, people who have integrity, who do things with, based on principles, uh, who do a fantastic job. They're professional. They treat others with respect. And if they happen to be a believer, then that's fantastic. But that's not the, the end all, end all. And I know some people are like, really, y'all believe that? I mean, shouldn't we all do this? Uh, but to me, it's kind of like when we purchase something, because I know the stats on both sides. When a, when a discount, I'm not going to mention any names, but when a discounter moves into a community, the spending power goes way up, right? Because the savings and so people actually have more to, income to do other things with. On the other side of that coin, uh, it has impact on the local businesses as well. And so to me, I've always looked at it as, hey, how do I serve my client? How, how can I raise my game, uh, my business, my ethics, my my value, whatever, to go to that next level? And it's it's not an easy answer. And I, you know, I feel for everybody on every side of that. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and I don't have the answer. And buying American specifically, that was just one idea in there. Obviously, if you had a foreign company come into a certain area that provides a thousand jobs, the local uh, populace that has value. The point is just how are we, well, outside of just money, what we're buying, the, the other thought I had was, are we doing what we can, those who are pursuing business to create jobs in the economy? To, I mean, what a gift to have a product, have a service that you're out there selling. And it grows to a point where you hire people and give them a good job. And you and I know so many people who, well, matter of fact, Howard Partridge, um, I think the last time I had him on the show, he talked about the reality that he has done well enough in his business. He does not have to work anymore. He's, he's good. One of the primary reasons he does it is to have a thriving workplace where he can employ people and be a good influence on them and lead them in value and uh, ethics and morality. That is, that is helping jobs and money here in America and globally. And another thought I had too, you know, how are we equipping our youth? They're not a getting nothing against school, but school is not built formal traditional school to equip them to go out and be a great employee, business owner, uh, whatnot. And so we get the, all the, uh, criticisms about the, from the corporate world about kids not having soft skills, PR skills, Zig Ziglar skills, how to win friends and influence people skills. We have to do that. So I can help the jobs and the economy by helping my kids understand business and ethics in business, uh, ethical capitalism. I mean, I can help the economy there. Where can we help again with our choices and our money? Yeah, you know, since you brought up schools, I'm just going to repeat something I saw or read from Seth Godin probably in the last couple of weeks. Uh, You know, homeschooling has really struggled over the last six months, right? Because suddenly the schools shut down and then parents who never wanted to or knew how to uh, were ill-equipped to basically encourage their kids to get on a Zoom call and and have school, Right. And he said, we asked the wrong question um, because here's what happened. The question got asked is, oh, no, how do we do school on a Zoom call? Mm -hmm. That was the question everybody struggled to answer. And Seth said, that's not the right question. The right question is, what is school for? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Because if because think about it, you know, is it really is school for the mastery of short term memory so we can pass the test to go to the next level? Because it feels like it. And then you try to translate that into an online environment and then, boom, all of a sudden, you know, it, it gets hurt. It's it's kind of like after World War One, uh, when the, the government planners got together and they said, uh oh, you know, a huge number of people, millions of people have left the farm. They've moved to the cities for, you know, the opportunity that's there. We are susceptible to a famine. We better make sure we have enough food in the storehouse in case a famine comes. Otherwise, we're going to have a disaster. And so they started subsidizing farmers. And what they didn't anticipate is our farmers are the hardest working people on the planet. And you combine that with technology innovation and suddenly we've got a surplus of crops like the world has never seen. Yeah. (laughs) Right. 
And so what happens when you have a government policy? Well, you can't change the policy. You got to figure out another answer. And so this led to the creation of the food pyramid. It, it led to feeding livestock grains that they never ate before. It led to turning corn into ethanol. It led to all these other uses of this excess and pretty much the obesity challenge that we have today is because of a government policy right after World War I. Yeah. And so my question is, as we look at the, uh, the platforms that, that parties have and politics, is are we asking the right question? I mean, wouldn't the better question have been for those government planners to be, hey, how do we make sure the healthiest citizen is, is provided for? The health of a citizen is what we're about. That would have created a whole different uh, angle at how we, and you know, and how we structure and, and provide infrastructure for uh, food development and things like that. I, I agree. I mean, you're talking about the root issue. We so often, as our culture does, look at the symptom. And here, talk about a volatile issue, Tom. Because uh, this was one that had a lot of responses. Well, Brad, uh, he says, if I had to choose just one, it would be abortion. Uh, Evan Herman, he says, abortion, number one. Deanne, um, she says, right now, freeing babies from becoming extinct and, and a lot of opinion on this. And again, that wasn't the point. But I'm looking at that and going, okay, what about with my, again, my life choices? Because we're, we're focused on that, but why is it on the increase? We can say that with every issue right now. Why is it on the increase? So our, I don't even know if you're aware of this, Tom. Our, our good buddy, Dr. Randy James, my co-host on the True Life Show, your doctor, my doctor, uh, his wife, Marcy, she's a nurse, a registered nurse. She works, I could, I can almost, actually I can just see the edge of the, her building down the road here. It's called Choices and it's a pregnancy center. She works primarily with young girls every single day who are pregnant. And when we look at this and ask her her views on, you know, on abortion and the laws, it, it's really, I mean, she's hugely concerned about that, but that's a symptom to her. Back here, the issue is, why is this happening? Why are these girls? And she'll tell you her, from her experience. So, you know, to get into that again, I know it's a, a volatile issue and a lot of perspective, but she's concerned about why are these girls at a younger age having more and more sex? Where is that coming from? And she's concerned about the home life and how is, and this is where I'm going to say something. And I don't want, I don't want anybody out there with a teen daughter. This is not to offend you. Uh, cause you know, kids still make their own choices and you may have had the most perfect idyllic loving home and it still happened. And I know some people with that, where you look at it and go, gosh, I'm, why did that? And it was just an instant gratification thing from a kid, not making a wise choice or whatnot. But by far and large, she's saying these kids are coming from homes where they do not have a lot of love and they're looking for it in all the wrong places as the song goes. And that's what she's seeing. She's questioning what's happening in our home. So just like we talk about jobs and, and whatnot, what are we doing to help our kids be strong in the job place and to be business owners? Same thing here. What am I doing to help my kids understand cause and effect and to understand instant gratification? And what am I doing to love them well so they're not looking for it so quickly elsewhere? Again, it's not a fair black and white statement that if you do this, then you guarantee of X, but we can obviously, uh, we can weight it in the, in, into that, into that better factor. Tom. Yeah. You know, there's, there's so many, um, I, I love data in these kind of situations and yeah. we won't go into the data, but when you 
look at all the things that create an environment where it becomes a problem, um, it's definitely, it is a symptom. Mm -hmm. And it's, 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 a, it's an indictment of our society and the way we treat each other. I've always believed in the sanctity of, of life, uh, but I see it being uh, in every area. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, people who have different beliefs and, and, and values than I do, um, and they are so intent on helping people out of terrible situations. I just got to admit, I admire and respect them for that. I mean, that's that's where they focus their energy, but they have a different set of priorities and everything else. And I look at all this and I think, you know, at the end of the day, I think whatever spectrum you fit on, you're we kind of agree in the same things. Right. We want every person to be valued. We want people to have the best chance possible. We want people to, uh, you know, dad said this, the number one cause of a poor self-image was or is the lack of unconditional love. And so what what makes um what creates the environment of unconditional love? Yeah. You know, what, what allows that environment to happen? And a lot of times people make decisions because they don't have a good self-image or they bought into a, a, a false belief. So how do we create that in life? Uh, you know, these issues are not something that we can solve here, but I, I look at it and, and I kind of chuckle. Okay. Because, I, I, I see the arguments on both sides, you know, uh, I, I, I'm a conservative tree hugger and, 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 and people go, well, what, what's that? And I'm like, well, you got to figure it out. I mean, I'm kind of one of these people that says, Hey, if we do a system the way God created it, right. If we do a system the way God created it, then is it ever going to, you know, what's the end result of that system going to be? Is it going to be positive or negative? It's going to be positive. And they say, well, give me an example and so I read this book called uh, The Marvelous Pigness of Pigs. I've heard. And, it sounds familiar. Maybe you mentioned it before, but it sounds familiar. Yeah. I, lo is, I love the title. It's just a great book. And, it, and it's basically a book about uh, farming and about the local farm and about how we should do it as natural as possible. And, you know, we have, you know, God created pigs to be pigs, Right. Yeah, uh, they they have a personality. They have things that they like. And what if instead of making a pig fit into a box, and you know we're just gonna we're gonna put it in a cage and it's just gonna produce and we're gonna, what if we said no, we're gonna give the pig the pig's life? What would happen? And it's a really interesting thing. Uh, why did God make make these animals with these different characteristics? Yeah. Uh, and so I look at that and I go, yeah, why couldn't we let a pig be a pig? Why couldn't we do that? And then well, people will say, well, the economics don't make sense. How do we feed the world? And I just I just go back on to uh, my faith. And I said, well, if God created a system and we did it the way God intended to us, I, I think that would probably be enough to be to provide for everybody. Okay, there's a there's a great segue, uh, Tom. One of the big ones that people, uh, Joe Pellerito, he says climate change, you know, uh, polarized caps, and uh, Jim Henderson said climate change. Uh, that he said quotes, it's you know, it's man made. When I look at that, and again, this is not to sidestep the reality of what we need to do in a nation that may be out of control. But when I look at myself, I'm thinking, how much am I consuming? 
bottom line. How much uh, am I? And we had some people talk about being minimalists and, and whatnot, but there is a reality to how much do I consume when we go back to purchasing to look at just how much am I buying? How much am I throwing away? How much gas am I burning? How much electricity am I using? How much yada, yada, we can go down that line. And if we all, I mean, none of us, I don't want the government coming in and telling me how much I can or can't consume, but I'm quick to point out, they should stop making, letting those people consume that much or let that business, you know, quit letting that business pour pollution in there. And again, I'm not, I'm not thinking about that often when I go and make my quick purchases. Am I purchasing from companies with ethics and morals who are paying attention to climate, paying attention to waste? Man, I don't often put it up there. So when I start waving the flag and getting on my soapbox about climate change, what am I doing personally? Now, again, that doesn't sidestep the fact that laws need to be made and dealt with to try to control people who are never going to care and are going to just wantonly do whatever. I got that. But still, you know, what am I doing? What am I teaching my kids? What am I advocating in my local area to help address this issue. And I just don't think we often, again, that's the whole point of this. We don't take it into our personal responsibility of how am I voting? Because again, we're so caught up right now with what's that vote that we're putting on the ballot that goes in, that's going to put a candidate here, that's going to support these policies. But every single day today, I'm going to make untold amount of decisions. I mean, you, you know, you, you like the stats, there's stats on how many decisions do we make every day? I just read one. It was something ridiculous. Yeah. 3000 decisions. How many of those decisions am I making with these issues that I say I care about in mind? I I'm, it's really convict. It's just convicting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but I just read the book Morality by uh, Jonathan Sachs, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, and it's just an amazing book. But here's something that's just it's I've spent a lot of time contemplating this. And for all the listeners, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer. But this is just one of those things that pops up out of all this is that, you know, in the in this for the last 100, 200 years, there's been a move culturally uh, away from the we, right? The we responsibility, the community, and, and, and most of it, religious beliefs of we have a responsibility to other people, not just ourselves, to the I. Hey, it's all about me. It's about my happiness. It's about what I want. Uh, why should I have to sacrifice for anything else? And that really exploded in the 60s. And so in the 60s, uh, when that exploded, things like birth control and abortion and those things that became kind of the, the thing. And then drug use and all these things, because, Hey, you know, be happy. We need to go and do our things now. Well, so that had demographically and it had all these consequences through the, the family unit and, and, you know, issues that go down the road. And now the science comes along and says, Hey, wait a second. Uh, we've got this thing called climate change, and it's a real deal, right? The, the temperature of the earth is going up. And here's what's interesting is the people who said, hey, I should live whatever life I want. I can do drugs if I want. I can, you know, I can get married, not get married. I can, I can have an abortion. Ultimately, because, hey, this is my life and I get to make that decision, so now climate change comes along and the people who believe in the science of climate change, and there's a ton of studies that back it up, uh, whether you want to accept them or not, uh, I think the debate is how much of it is man-made versus how much of it is just the world being the world. 
But here's the reality. Uh, the people who deny client change are basically giving back the same argument, which is why should I sacrifice what I want personally to benefit somebody else and a generation I probably won't even know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like because we've moved from we to I, we can we can justify going down a path that's probably not the best answer for us, right? It's probably not. Uh, and we might have to edit this whole section out, Kevin, but uh, but I but I think it's just such a deep, deep question. It is. And and I get really um, I call it the geography of compassion. OK. And, and this is a really uh, this is a hypothetical uh, thought problem. Imagine you're a doctor in an emergency room and um, an emergency comes in. There's been a car accident and somebody comes into the hospital and, and they've got a broken leg and it's a compound fracture. And, you know, by looking at it, you can fix it. But fixing it is going to cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. I mean, it's just, it's a major surgery. It's going to take three months of rehab and all this stuff is going to happen. And, and so what we do in the States is we fix it, right? That's what we do. We, we do that. Well, now let's look at the problem. Let's just say that that person is an illegal, right? They've come across the border illegally. They, they're not a citizen of the U.S. They snuck across. Well, do you still fix the leg? Well, of course you do. So here's the geography of compassion. At that moment, somebody taps you on the shoulder and they say, hey, you can either fix this leg or you can send the $200,000 to other parts of the world and it will save 10,000 lives through malaria medications and other things. Which one are you going to do? Mm-hmm. And this is, this is when it gets really tough because our assumption is, is we can print more money. I mean, look at what we've done now to, to help us get through this very tough times. We've, we've basically answered that question by printing money and kicking the can down the road. Well, the reality is, is there's not an unlimited, there's, there's not an, we can't solve every problem. And so, well, maybe we should allow people from other countries in based on the amount of poverty that they're going through. And if that's the case, then people south of the border of the United States, they're probably not in the first 50 million to get in. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And so once again, we're compassionate about those that were near. And in the old Testament, it said, love God, love your neighbor and love the stranger, right? Feed the stranger. So we have this commandment to do that. In the new Testament, it says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. So it's, and we're all neighbors. And so these are really, really big questions. And, and what I get frustrated with is in the political side and the debate is we, we throw out both sides, right? If I believe in this, then the other side is completely wrong and vice versa. And here is, I'm reading a book and I'm just going to, it's a book by Dr. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm pulling it up right now. And the book is Oneness Embraced. Hmm. 
And it's about racial reconciliation. And basically what Dr. Evans said, and this is an amazing book, uh, and it was written uh, during the Obama administration, and it was talking about how in the United States can we get together, how can we get on the same page as believers, white and black, how can we get on the same page? And this is what he said, at the center of hope is truth. And so in Jewish tradition, one of the things I learned uh, is that the, you, you don't argue to win. You argue to discover the truth. And I think ultimately the solution in all these things is we have got to argue to discover the truth, not to defend our side. Because I can tell you right now that uh, the people who believe that uh, climate change is a farce, it's a man-made thing, I, I know some of that, and they're not going to pollute their stream. They're not going to put petrochemicals into the water. They're not going to – they don't want to do that, <laughs> right? So – what does that mean? It means that if we seek the truth, I bet we can figure it out. And by the way, as a believer, who's the author of truth? Yeah. Right. Yeah, that right there, Tom. I mean, because you look, I'm going to go back to your analogy with the illegal immigrant over here hurts themselves, 200 grand. Do we help them? We could do all this over there. That from a faith-based standpoint, I would tend to look at that and go, you know what? I'm going to seek my God right there in that moment and ask him for his truth in that specific instance. Okay, we can do that. It's really hard to do when you've got a whole country of a lot of people who aren't doing that though. And we do still have to make that policy. Man, I do not want to be in government. I don't want to be in politics. I have a hard time throwing a stone any direction because what a mess. And I'm glad that people are devoting themselves to it. But, you know, as we go through these all these issues. We had people, we could stay on here for a couple hours, talk about gun control and immigration and government control and freedom and education and whatnot. And the point here is not us stating right or wrong. It's saying, what is that personal responsibility? So back to that first question, if you audited Kevin Miller's bank statements and all my purchases and my just, you know, daily decisions with a video on me for a week. Here's all his activities, his decisions, uh, how I take care of my family and my children and my spouse or not, uh, how I care for them well or not. And, and again, what I'm buying, how do, how, how does all that equate to all these issues? How am I supporting or not these issues with my daily life. And of course that, you know, I, I, I'm going to, I don't, I don't know. 86% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So I'll make one up. <laughs> what is the percentage of impact that has on the world over who I vote for today? And again, we don't even have to make that. The point is do both, you know, go vote for what you think is right. But every single day I'm voting with my life. And I just, I'm not the author of that. That's been said before, but right now I wish it would be said even more because we're so intent on who we vote for, what policies we vote for. And I think we're often so blind to how we are voting with our lives. And I hope that I've adequately raised my hand in this to say that I brought this topic up, not to point a finger at anybody. I'm pointing the finger at me and going, Kevin, how am I supporting my beliefs and my values? I, I had a friend 
Um, Jay Peroni, uh, the faith-based millionaire was a book I helped him work on a long time ago. And he was a, he is a financial advisor and that was his platform to say, look, it's one thing to go in and invest your money and to make more money with it. And he says, I can help people do that. But so often I have people who are faith-based people. They're focused on morals or focused on ethics. They have no idea that that company they put their money in is doing things that do not at all line up with their morals and ethics. So that was his platform. I'm going to help them invest their money, still make money. I'm going to make them as much or more than they would make because I'm a good financial advisor and because you can make money on moral um, uh, companies, uh, entities with morals and ethics. But man, you should know if you're going to invest your money and you say you stand up for these values, you should back those up with where you are investing. And what if there's a choice and you're going to make 5% less with this company that does line up with your values and ethics than X company? Are you willing to do that? Same thing here. Are we willing to pay the price, even if it's just our attention? to let our daily decisions, daily purchases line up. I, I think I'm going to have a discussion with my family, Tom, and talk about that. Let's look at what are we doing? What are the decisions we're making? What are we going to do with the, you know, this expense, this effort, this initiative to support? Are we actually supporting what we say we value? That's a big, it's just a big leap. I hope this sh uh, shed some light on it. Yeah. And uh, let me just kind of close with a couple of thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, first off, um, the social media influence, uh, the ability to, our, I think our biggest enemy right now is distraction. Yes. The technology, the artificial intelligence, the brains that are behind where we spend a predominant amount of our time, which is either on social media or on news channels, getting information. Uh, it is all geared and wired. We have to understand, and, and I learned this from uh, the Social Dilemma uh, documentary, mm -hmm. but basically we are, we are products. So when we're using Facebook or Twitter or any of these, we are products. We are not the customer. We are products. And everything is engineered to take advantage of our brain, to get us to engage, and to make us, to push us into predictable patterns so that we buy things from the customer. So who is the customer of this world? It's people who are buying the data from these social media companies. That is the customer. So the user is the product. The so uh, the people at Facebook, they don't care about us individually. They care about the customer. They're going to take care of the customer. And so what do they want to hand over to them? Uh, people who are likely to be uh, motivated, uh, manipulated, inspired through consumerism and marketing to make things. So what does that do? Well, what they're doing is accentuating your bias so that they can tweak it every now and then to agitate you to re-engage, which ups the likelihood that you're going to make a purchase in that direction. And so I think a lot of us need to step back and say, not only do we need to investigate what we're buying, but why are we buying it? Yeah. Because we are in a polarized time. And I want everybody to know, I don't believe this is by accident at all. I believe it is a system ran, you know, ran amok as far as how we are manipulated and how we've allowed ourselves to get into that position of getting sucked into these things. And so it divides, it divides, it divides. And so now uh, whoever wins, you know, people are asking me, I have not made a political post in five years. Um, 
I think it's at least five years. I decided, you know, during the last campaign, that wasn't my role in the world to, you know, to advocate for a, a, a specific person. You know, we, we, our lens is the scriptural lens. It's, you know, the way it is, the way God wrote it, not necessarily the way people interpret it, but the, the way it is in there. And so people ask me, who do you think is going to win? Who do you want to win? And I just, I kind of stay away from that. Uh, but I will tell you this. So here is my, if I, if I had one word to the next president of the United States, this, this is what it would be. How awesome would it be if the next president of the United States came out after the election and made this statement? Hey, I just want you to know that I serve all American people. And I understand that many of you voted for me, not because you love me or the policies that I represent, but you have such a bad taste in your mouth for the opponent. And because of that, my commitment to you is I'm going to reel in the radical side of my party and we're going to come to the middle and figure this thing out where truth is the goal and not victory. And I think if either one, whoever, whoever wins, um, if either one of them said that, they could create a, an, um, an amazing thing. Because if one thing I do know is everybody is ready to come to the middle and to seek truth over victory. Yeah, I thought unity over division. Absolutely. I vote for you as advisor to the president. Can I do, can I do that more moral and ethical advisor to the president? Man. I'm telling you, you know, every election is kind of settled by the middle 10 to 15 percent. Mm -hmm. And those 10 or 15 percent in the middle who go one way or the other, uh, they're going to influence another 30 or 40 percent. And that is a majority. When you put those two things together, that is a majority and if, and if, we, because here's the thing, if two people go to the negotiating table, sole purpose of winning the negotiation for victory, then there's always a loser. If two people go to the table to say, let's seek the truth, that's where we have an opportunity for healing. Absolutely. And that is a hard thing to do. And, uh, that's what I'm praying for. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate everybody who chimed in on this. I hope we did a fair endeavor here in highlighting where our vote counts most. I think Tom, man, it's always a gift to discuss through these things with you on these shows. It's some of the most enlightening times of my week. Thank you, brother. Well, friends, I really hope this elevated your awareness of an interest in, as it did mine, how we are all voting every day with our lives and just how immensely powerful that is. Coming up next in episode 835, Lead with Value. Well, if that sounds elementary, as it kind of does when I looked at it initially, I encourage you to really think about it, though. Do you lead as a, think about the areas, a spouse, a parent, an employee, an employer, or in any capacity, 
with a spirit of providing value? Or do you tend to lead? And as I thought about it, sometimes I do just from my experience, my authority, uh, inherent position and role, seniority, or even simply niceness. I mean, you can lead from all these aspects and really not be leading from or truly providing value to the intended recipient. Well, this is my habits show. And I'm back with my guest from episode 833, author and speaker, Carrie Oberbrunner. And I let off with interest about his habits and routines that help him be unhackable, which is the title of his new book and was the focus of our show together in episode 833. But in here, Carrie shares a lot from his lessons and insight from being an unfulfilled pastor of 12 years uh, to feeling tied to social social media for his business, but it was his line about leading from value that just stuck out to me. I mean, if you haven't visited uh, unhackablebook.com, I encourage you to go there, check out what Carrie has for you. But again, in this upcoming show, episode 835, uh, I think that that will stand out to you too. Do we, are we really having the thought of leading with value? And I thought so often, even as a parent, sometimes I'm not leading with that in mind and my gosh, I want to. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 